this morning, we're, we're continuing sort of what we began on Easter. We're, we're understanding what it means to be people of the resurrection, the truth of Christ defeating death. And this morning, um, we're going to do something a little different. Um, If you are worshiping with us on a regular basis, I'm actually going to read two passages, or we're going to look at a couple of passages this morning that we normally read around Christmas time, because they point to uh, the truth of Christ coming. But also these passages point beyond this, and they point to a greater truth and a greater reality in terms of what Christ came to do when he defeated death. And so one of the things I want to read first this morning is from the Gospel of John. And it's the very first section, chapter 1, and very familiar words. Uh, We probably read these words at least once a year. Um, This year, reading them twice, right? It says, In the beginning was the Word, and the Word was with God, and the Word was God. He was in the beginning with God, and all things were made through him, and without him not anything made that was made. In him was life, and the life was the light of men. The light shines in the darkness, and the darkness has not overcome it. It says, there was a man sent by God whose name was John. He came as a witness to bear witness about the light that all might believe through him. He was not the light, but came to bear witness about the light. You see, what John is talking about is he's talking about the light that changed everything, which is Jesus Christ. And if you look at these words in the Gospel of John, they echo, parallel, mimic the words in Genesis chapter 1. In the beginning, and in the beginning was the Word, and the Word was with God, and the Word was God. And that is, if you go back to the book of Genesis, everything was chaos Darkness, a vast expanse of nothing. And God spoke his word and created reality. That is, he spoke everything into being. And so Jesus is tied very intimately to the beginning. Because most of what scripture is dealing with is what happened in the beginning and how do we solve the problem of what happened in the beginning. Because these words should throw you right back into Genesis 1. And if you remember what happened in Genesis 1, everything was created perfect. There was no death. There was perfection. There was enjoyment. There was pleasure. There was life and life abundantly. And suddenly, Adam and Eve, who were bearers of the image of God, who carried the image of God as they were created to, got tempted to become more like God themselves. They wanted to judge for themselves what was good and what was evil. And so they took it. And immediately, this perfect creation got twisted and malformed into something totally different because no longer were Adam and Eve bearing the image of God the way he called them to. They were trying to be in control and be like God in how they lived and what they did. And this throws all of creation into this new twisted darkness that didn't exist before. Suddenly, they had to toil and work hard for the things that they needed in life. They had to work through the thorns and the dry land, and and they had to try very hard to produce what they needed to produce. Not only that, like, immediately after this happens, you have your first, like, spousal disagreement. Like, did God really say, who really ate the fruit, she gave it to me, right? 
Now, all of a sudden, relationships are a little more complicated. A husband and wife can't just enjoy each other's company. They have to occasionally argue while they're in each other's company. They have to problem solve because communication isn't easy anymore. It's challenging. And they have kids. They have beautiful kids, right? And their kids aren't just like figuratively killing each other. They're literally killing each other when Cain and Abel get in a little argument. Everything is broken and death enters the picture and death is darkness. And so most of the Old Testament and all the writers in Scripture, the Israelites, they're struggling with this reality. Death has come. Everything's not perfect. What do we do to get back to what we had? What, what do we do? How do we solve the problem? And it's their struggle with God and trying to understand what God's trying to do among them and how they're going to move forward in a way that defeats the darkness, which is death. And so we get to John chapter 1, and we, we learn that light is life. It's the opposite of death. And, and Jesus was there in the beginning, and he's here now, but he stands opposite of what we experience. He points to some greater truth as he defeats death and his light and darkness. And this is stuff we, we talk about, we hit on, we touch very often. I mean, it's like, it's why we do baptisms. We see the, the light of Christ in the presence of his water and his word, because that light is what defeats darkness. It's what gives us life and moves us forward. But we, we live in this reality. We live in this post-resurrection reality. And so the question is, how now shall we live? Like, what does it matter, right? We have friends and family members that still die. We still get in arguments with our spouse. Our children still, quote, kill each other. Life is not easy. We still toil. We still get confused. And so what does it mean to have the promise of the resurrection and that resurrection truth? What does it mean to lean into the reality of what Christ is doing? Well, we go back to a prophet, and, and it's the prophet Isaiah, and he in this passage we read also around Christmas because it points to sort of the Prince of Peace and, and Christ who is to come, but it actually extends beyond this in a, in a way that you see it being fulfilled in the presence of Christ and also what it means for us as we follow Jesus. Like in Isaiah eleven six, an interesting vision, he says, the wolf shall dwell with the lamb and the leopard lie down with the young goat and the calf and the lion and the fattened calf together. What Isaiah is basically saying is that these animals of prey are getting invited today, and instead of eating it, <laughs> they pass and just hang out. Like the fattened calf is right there. It looks good to eat, and they, and they don't eat it, because to eat it means there's death. And so what's going on here? This is unusual behavior for animals, right? But something has shifted. Something has changed. You see in Isaiah eleven seven it says, The cow and the bear shall graze, and their young shall lie down together, and the lion shall eat straw like the ox. So again, instead of seeing the lion go after the ox and just devour it, the lion opts for the salad. <laughs> just grazes. How unusual is this? What's going on? Isaiah is pointing to something new, something different, something that has changed. Isaiah 11, verse 8, it says, The nursing child shall play over the hole of a cobra, 
and the wean child shall put his hand in the adder's den. Woo! Let's put Colt in a snake pit. It'll be fun. He has the light of Christ, right? Let's play with the snakes. They're not harmful, right? Some churches do this. We don't. Um, We don't do that. But this points to something different, something that's changed, some new reality that the prophet is prophesying about where there seems to be no fear of death or pain or suffering or uncertainty. It seems like creation is at peace with itself in a new way. And then a little bit later in Isaiah in chapter 26, Isaiah says, your dead shall live. Their bodies shall rise. You who dwell in the dust awake and sing for joy. For your dew is a dew of light and the earth will give birth to the dead. It's a prophecy of resurrection and life. I mean, the earth will give birth to the dead. We see this when Jesus raises from the grave. And one of the gospels, it also says others were risen with him. And you, you get this sense that something in and through Christ, through his defeat of death, through him being the light and the darkness means that we're no longer at war with creation, but we're in the creation in the way that God intended. As the image bearers of God, instead of being at war with each other and at war with the creation, the environment, where we're somehow in some new way back in it how God intended. It's a complete restoration of every living thing. And you see Paul talk about it in this way. In 2 Corinthians chapter 5, he says, he, that's Jesus, died for all, that those who live might no longer live for themselves, but for him who for their sake died and was raised. He says, from now on, therefore, we regard no one according to the flesh, even though we once regarded Christ according to the flesh. We regard him thus no longer. Therefore, if anyone is in Christ, he is a new creation. The old has passed away. Behold, the new has come. Something new, something different. It's like a lion eating grass. And Christ embodied this when he lived. Like as he was walking among the people and teaching, he was pointing to this, this newness, this new that is coming true. He was giving sight to the blind. He was giving hearing to the deaf. He was healing. He was forgiving. He was raising the dead. And he himself was defeating death and becoming something new. He was something entirely new but still familiar just as we in Christ are entirely new but still familiar. And what I mean by this is, like think about the story of Christ. Christ was crucified on the cross. He died. He was buried. He was buried for three days. And then suddenly um, he comes back to life. He's risen from the grave. And there's in the Gospels the story of the disciples huddled up in fear And what happens? It says Jesus appears to them. Ta-da, I'm alive. And what does Thomas say? I don't know. (laughs) I don't know about this. Um, I need to touch you myself. And so what does Jesus let him do? He lets him put his finger 
where he was crucified in his hand and in his side. He gets to feel the the living Jesus' flesh. And, and when you read this story, it's kind of curious. Like, why is the risen Jesus, the one who defeated death, why does he still have nail marks in his hand? Why does he still have the piercing is in his side? Why would that be something he could touch? Is, is God not making all things new? Is he not risen? Well, it's because in some way in some curious way jesus is still himself and yet not who he was before he's still one that bears the marks of the suffering that he had on the cross and yet he can materialize in a room it's like when jesus was walking along the countryside after his death and resurrection he he comes across some of his followers and they don't recognize him And they're talking and they're talking, and it's not until Jesus breaks bread with them that all of a sudden they can see that he is who he says he is. And it and it's sort of like it's like they they recognize him at a certain point, but he's just different enough and they and they lack just enough faith maybe that they just can't quite see the new reality. They can't see Jesus in this new reality. But once they do, they see it's obviously him, but he's different. He's new. And sometimes people ask me, you know, when I die, when I go to heaven or in the resurrection, however you want to talk about this, um, will I recognize grandma and grandpa? Will they know me? Will I know mom and dad? Will I know my son and daughter? Like, will people know who we are? And, and I would say, there's evidence that seems to say, yes, absolutely. You'll, you will be recognizable, but you're not going to be you either. You're going to be something different and yet somehow the same. Maybe you'll bear some of the scars of the life that you lived, and yet, in a weird way, you're still also new and not totally recognizable. I'm not really sure. But this is what the resurrection promise holds for us. So when we ask, how now should we live? What does it look like for us to be people of the resurrection? It means that we are part of something that's new, even though... We experience still some of the scars in the life that we live in. It's that now, not yet. In the presence of Christ, we now have new life. We now have forgiveness of sins. We now have a promise and hope. And yet it's not fully fulfilled because we still struggle. So what does it mean to have the promise of resurrection and new life? What does it mean to live in this truth that death is defeated and we in him are alive. Well, it means as image bearers of God, we participate in what God wants us to and wanted us to in the beginning. We don't worship his creation. We take care of his creation because we bear the image of God we we pay attention to and bring new life and light wherever we go instead of death and destruction and so it does look like maybe turning our swords into plowshares or or maybe it looks like mowing your lawn <laughs> edging and weeding and taking care of things and restoring order it means baking really good cookies and giving them to other people to share 
that peace. Slay the baking ingredients. It means being a light to those in your family and and your neighbors and your friends and and it means reconciling brokenness and living differently. To be a resurrection people doesn't mean that we just sit around and wait for change to come. It means that we are change because he is changing us. And it will be fully fulfilled when he returns and it'll get easier. But for now, we walk with him, trust in him, and we bring order where there is chaos. So we mow lawns, we kill weeds, we, we plant, we garden, we tend to our spouses, we love our kids, we, we do all the things that we are called to do in all the ways that we're gifted to do them, and we bring honor and glory to God and new life to others in and through Christ. So as a resurrection people, may we just trust in the reality that in Christ we are changed, and we continue to trust in his promises until all things are made new in him. In Jesus' name, amen.